0: Do you do you want to do you want to end on a good note or a bad note?
1: Oh, for who?
0: I want to end on a good note. So I suggest we talk about Mr. Holland's Let's Opus first. Talk
1: about Mr. Holland's Opus first. I agree. I agree. I just you know.
0: Well, anyway, uh again, <clears throat> welcome welcome back to Over Drinks. Mm-hmm. We're we're still on. If you missed last week's episode and are just joining us for this week's episode, we are talking about Uh, movies that feature a composer a fictional composer as either the main character or a very important storyline in the movie there aren't that many of them um so last week we talked about cloud atlas and also the movie youth this week we're talking about i would say like of any musician if they (laughs) had to come up with the movie about a composer who's not named mozart or beethoven they're gonna come up with Mr. Holland's Opus. Probably. Probably. So Although we're gonna that's... talk about that one, apparently right now. Yep. Yep. And then uh we are also going to talk about untitled, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But as it is an overdrinks, uh what are what are you drinking now, Jamie? Well,
1: I was about to open the gummy bears, actually. <laughs> 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 I'm having an argument with the container, but Gummy bears are happening. Um, gummy bears and wine. Gummy bears and apothic red went red blend. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so um, I I switched. Uh, we we started with whiskey and now now I'm onto beer. So <laughs> this is uh, Founder's Porter. Uh, it, the porter is dark, rich, and sexy. Mm. Yeah, and uh, sure it is. It's it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. I mean, you would hate it, but I like it. So, uh huh.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: As we proved
1: <laughs> <laughs> several <laughs> over drinks ago. You no, know, you know, I wish I wish for my beer friends that I could like beer for them, but it's just not the way that this Jamie was built. So,
0: gummy bears and wine. Gummy bears
1: and wine. <laughs> Cause I'm, you know, so- <laughs> 22. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Maybe soak the gummy bears in wine.
1: Gummy bears get soaked in vodka. Who are you? Um,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Clearly not someone who mixes alcohol and gummy bears. (laughs)
1: There's an art to mixing sugar and alcohol. All right.
0: So, Mr. Holland's opus. Yep. Okay. So, again, just like youth, this is less about a composer and more about the person. And, honestly, in this case, obviously you know i i don't know about you but i saw this when i was in high school mm-hmm. and it was like oh my god this is the greatest movie ever i want to be a band director kind of thing i don't know that happened to me at, at that point for yeah. not just this movie but a lot of other reasons and then i uh well yep took a different path mm-hmm. um and uh so this is more about him being a teacher and him Uh, having a family you know composition is so often just in the background and that's kind of the whole plot of the story that he's a composer that never composes
1: I kind of have a problem with us calling him a composer okay he writes one piece
0: (laughs) (laughs) no that's not true he writes that piano piece for the singer who he almost the 18 year old who he almost has an affair with yeah. we'll get to that later but <laughs> again
1: um, with a woman and the, never mind
0: <laughs> yeah uh-huh. yeah so but i would say that you know that's probably the most realistic part of this movie is that he's a composer who you know as a teacher you you have to find times to compose yeah you know when it's not your when composing isn't your full-time job obviously you have to fit it in and um he just does a horrible job of that um i mean <laughs> you're right he writes one 3 minute piece over 40 years yep he kind of sucks as a composer
1: i just um, uh uh-uh. uh yeah i have a hard time calling him a composer he's he's i do not discount Educators who have you know, oh, there's a way. There's there's there is a government way of defining who is doing this for a career and who is doing this as a hobbyist. And he is like really clearly defined as a hobbyist. And that's mm-hmm. not to say that you can't call hobbyists composers. I just have to see that the lack of productivity,
0: yeah,
1: is is huge. I, I don't know. I can't call him a composer. And it's just him. It's not, you know, like there are other band directors I've known who have done marching band arrangements uh, and and composed into the wee hours and not been a victim of their own circumstances as much as as Mr. Holland happens to be. Yeah. <laughs> and. Mm-hmm. uh, Yeah. and And it's just he's I have a really hard time with giving him that big old title for something that. I don't know. He
0: barely does.
1: He really doesn't do.
0: <laughs> but the thing is, I think like if we, we if we were to step into the mind of him the character, there would be no question. Oh yeah. There would absolutely be no question because that is his that's probably his identity. That's why like he in the very beginning of the movie he says, you know, I I only t- took the teaching job so I would have some time to compose and everyone laughs at him for that statement. Um As but, they should As Yes, as they should, especially a high school teacher. Jesus. Um, but But I'm sure in the mind of that character, there's no question. There's absolutely no question. This is who I am. This is what I do. It's just that for his entire life, he really doesn't do it. Yep. You know, everything else gets in the way. Family gets in the way. And I shouldn't even say that. Family doesn't get in the way. He chooses family. Or doesn't choose family and chooses... Uh, you know, making arrangements for the school musical, or, or doing doing whatever else there is to do. You know, he obviously the character chooses to do anything but compose. Yeah. And then there's the you know there's the line when him and his wife get into the get into the big fight. You know, when do I ever have time to write my music? That's like, dude. Um, <laughs> you make the time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, you make the time. That's it
1: yeah I mean, so the 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 juggling like multiple jobs and things like that it that didn't ever go away. The having to teach driver's education over the summer because you need to make ends meet for the entire summer is like <laughs> summer is a terrifying time for me still. I don't get paid yeah. for three months <laughs> right <laughs> I'm an adjunct, so I get that I also know that. When I was working seven part-time jobs, I was composing in 15-minute increments in the break room at Staples mm-hmm. because that's all I was given. You know, like, that that was all I had for the day, and that's how I made it work.
0: Right. So he kind of takes on this kind of victim persona. Oh, yeah. Of As you said, like, he's a victim of his circumstance that he created.
1: His own life choices. Didn't we yeah. talk about poor life choices? Last time?
0: Well, I mean, there's hashtag Poor Life Choices Smith. Oh, I'm not talking about my husband. He makes... (laughs) (laughs) He makes good choices in everything but one arena. Beer. (laughs) (laughs) If you can even call it that.
1: If you can... Hey, you know what? Hey, oh, I have to warn you. I have to warn you, Rob. Yes. So the place that makes the blueberry wheat just came out with a blueberry pancake beer.
0: Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) my God. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't be an over drinks if we weren't making fun of Andrew for his I know, I alcohol know. choices. I know. But I
1: think he feels a little left out of this one, too. But I told him because of the symmetry of episode one and then leading into episode 100. You know, he was he gets it. But at the same time,
0: <laughs> get out of here, bad beer, Andy. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, honestly, a lot of the other parts of this movie just seem to be Oscar bait for me. You know, it's kind of Forrest Gumpy with all the historical montages. Yeah. I mean, the composer having a deaf son. Jesus Christ! I mean, come on. <laughs> like, could could we could we pull at any more heartstrings? Yeah, yeah. Just just for the sake of trying to get Richard Dreyfuss an Oscar. Did he has he won an Oscar? I don't know.
1: I don't know. I hope he didn't win it for not being a composer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah, know. I I mean, I just, I, when was that movie made? 90s? Had to be. I th-
0: yeah, I think maybe... Mid-90s? Well, let's look it up. We look it up. We have computers in front of us, so...
1: Yeah, but I'm lazy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Mr. Holland's Opus,
1: 1995. Oh, right on the head. Nail right on the head. Um, I don't know. I, are we getting away from, like, main character as asshole... Uh, (laughs) movies in the 21st century or am I just like seeking out better people because he is not (laughs) in my opinion a decent dude he's a terrible person
0: yeah he really is
1: he almost runs away with an 18 year old and then he abandons her to her own plans that she doesn't understand she doesn't know how to make it she's just off to New York City and she's terrified and his his only like he has no consolation for her or or (laughs)
0: Here, here's a buddy of mine that I used to gig with. He may or may not rape you.
1: Right, right. Like, if he's half as creepy as I am, creeping on an 18-year-old here when I've got a half-grown son, I don't know. He's just an ass. He treats his wife and his child like crap. And, like, you know, I just don't love movies anymore that celebrate the asshole. I like ones where, you know, you fight the asshole because he's tearing down Hogwarts or... Destroying an island of dinosaurs, or.
0: (laughs) I love that those are your first go to examples.
1: I am sorry, but I watched the most recent Jurassic Park again yesterday, and I cry every time that Brontosaurus is at the end of the dock. I think it's worse than tearing down Hogwarts, and I have to say it in a public forum because, like, Jurassic Park was our childhood. You can rebuild Hogwarts, you can't rebuild the Brontosaurus
0: considering it never existed you are correct the brontosaurus is a myth
1: (laughs) whatever it was that died (laughs) wait i I
0: haven't i haven't seen the movie (gasps) sorry i saw the fourth jurassic park but not the fifth one
1: okay fair because the fourth one should scare you off from ever wanting to see one again but the fifth one was pretty good
0: yeah. Yeah. All right.
1: Oh, yeah. It's it's totally you know capitalism run, with- run amok with scientific creativity and <sighs> trying to weaponize dinosaurs. It's just you know.
0: Did, did the dinosaur have a a kind of low long body and a long neck, or a kind of high uh, high body <laughs> with a long neck?
1: <laughs> I I, <laughs> I love you. Did to it pieces. have a crest on its head? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a Brachiosaurus. Okay, then. it was then the Brachiosaurus. It's like the first thing we see in Jurassic Park One, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's it's like reaching up to the tree. That's mm-hmm. a Brachiosaurus. Yeah.
1: Okay. So so I was I
0: was a big dinosaur nerd as a kid. So
1: I was not. I just liked horror movies. Apparently, um, <laughs> which is definitely what that was when it came out for me, and I was way too young to watch it
0: totally me too (laughs) i remember i remember seeing that in the theater with my parents and when did that come out that was 1993
1: yeah we were too little (laughs) i was freaking nine years old i cried on my couch at home i was not allowed to go see it in the theater but yeah yeah oh big big tears t-rex was terrifying anyways i
0: remember like in that (laughs) raptor scene in the kitchen like I was sitting next to my mother. I obviously we're talking about the first one now. Yep. I was sitting next to my mother in the theater just destroying her hand. <laughs> I was like holding on to it so much and it was and I remember she was like, "Are you okay?" And I was like, "No." <laughs> this is bad parenting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So anyway, yeah, that was I still love that movie, though. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. It's so good. Yeah, I'm, wearing, I'm wearing my
1: Laura Dern, like, Dinosaur <laughs> eat man, woman inherits the earth. I've become a bigger <laughs> Jurassic Park nerd recently. I actually kind of want her to come back as the great dinosaur, like, talking about composers being unrealistic in film, archaeologists being unrealistic and or paleontologists being unrealistic in film. Laura Dern comes back for the sixth movie and becomes the great dinosaur destroyer. <laughs> i <laughs> have to hunt down the dozens that got loose on the mainland dozen ish <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: did, you, did you just spoil the mo- the fifth one for me no oh okay
1: no well, we'll that see. was the third one wasn't it t-rex loose mm. on the mainland
0: oh no that was the second one that was jeff goldblum
1: that was the second uh, i thought it was the third oh the third they go back
0: yeah that's yeah. that's the worst one that's horrible
1: I haven't seen that in a long time. Hmm.
0: It's you're correct in that okay. All choice. Right. All right. Um Anyway, <laughs> so back to Mr. Holland's.
1: <laughs> I think Jurassic Park is an excellent segue away from Mr. Holland's Opus for a minute, lighten the mood, back to <laughs> so crappy we, people.
0: <laughs> we were we were talking about um, the uh, the story with or the, the plot line where he was almost going to run away with this mm-hmm. hi, high school kid to New York. Rowena and, Morgan. Right. <laughs> Rowena. That's right. Um, so she asks him to run away with her and says that he could be writing such great music. And he pauses as if to consider. Now, no father who loved their children would ever have given that a moment of consideration. But I think that's the point that the movie's trying to make. Like he is clearly like the the whole family everything is is secondary. Oh yeah. to to him.
1: And and his desire to write but his inaction in writing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh god, yeah. I think he's he, I mean this is part of why I won't call him a composer is that, you know, he's a, he's a trash bag of a human to everybody else in his life for this desire to do something that he's clearly not capable of doing at the same time he ties his shoes, you know? Like... <laughs> <laughs> you love my metaphors. Yes. <laughs> I only get better with gummy bears. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I know. He's, he's terrible. At, yeah. At juggling and and also just if you put yourself in the situation it's not fair to resent or to hold it against the people around you for the rest of your life
0: right but but so so often you know he's uh when when they find out you know their son is deaf and Mm -hmm. they're going to put him into a school that does primarily signing and they have to learn signing and Oh, you know, it's a six-week course for however many hours a day in the summer, and you see like him just get de- completely defeated because this is another thing that's taking away from his composing time. It's like motherfucker, that's your child,
1: right? Right. Do
0: you want to communicate with your child? And obviously, he didn't.
1: He didn't. You know, a six-week so, course is nothing. Yeah. If he took a six-week course in composing, he might have actually finished a goddamn piece. <laughs>
0: bam fuck you mr holland
1: (laughs) fuck you mr holland (laughs) Uh, all right so so i mean there
0: there are two more things i want to get to about this movie okay um first of all i mean talking about his son yeah all right the john lennon song that scene where he sings to his son you know beautiful beautiful beautiful
1: beautiful boy Uh uh-huh that song. Yeah. Um, just in case. <laughs> just in case. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't remember.
0: All right. Uh-huh. When I first saw this movie, you know, that scene was a kind of low point for me because it's like, he can't sing. It's, you know, kind of sentimental and kind of tacky. And I, I, I still say the song itself does nothing for me. Mm-hmm. But the sentiment of that moment, I'm not going to lie, uh, i I kind of choked up a bit this time around and I've seen like, this is not just that movie. This is any movie with a storyline about a father showing their child love. It's like having kids just makes you a sobbing nightmare. In movies.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask I if swear. it was because you've had kids since the last time you've yeah. seen it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I don't so. know.
1: I, I, I just, I don't think that one redeeming moment one moment where he shows his kid the proper amount of affection right is enough
0: well to redeem him as a human trash bag of course <laughs> not but it, uh, what i'm saying is in the moment oh yeah of watching this again i was like oh, fuck you i don't want to be feeling this right now you know but it got right
1: about a dinosaur yesterday so <laughs> zero judgment <laughs>
0: Oh, we are different people.
1: <laughs> I have a hard time with animal cruelty. Okay,
0: <laughs> never watch a Wes Anderson film. Then mm. e- every dog dies.
1: Mm. Oh,
0: in kind of a funny way, <laughs> if it can be funny, <laughs> but but every single now, I mean, movie, like, a dog will die.
1: I mean, like, like you, you know, you're right. It's it's kind of a. I don't have a problem with. I know the dog's not actually dead. I have a problem, right. like, I can't sit through Dumbo.
0: Oh, God, yeah.
1: I, I like the new, um you know, CG live slash live action one is coming out, and I just, I have zero interest in seeing it, because I know no, I will sit none. there and sob like a child. Yeah. Because Dumbo is treated poorly from the time he is born until the end of the movie, you know?
0: Can, can we just take a, a slight detour <laughs> for a second and just talk about... All the live action Disney movies that are just destroying our childhood.
1: Only if you watch them, Rob.
0: Exactly. Well, I <laughs> haven't watched any. I, I will say I I have watched uh, the Beauty and the Beast one and just because, um, you know, my girls yeah. love the songs and yep. eh, whatever. It's it was OK. It's still like the CGI just still looks like shit. Well. I mean, talk talk about a movie that holds up with CGI. It's Jurassic Park. Oh, my God. 1995. Yeah, and it's still so much better than 90% of the movies that are out right now. Yeah. I mean, I will say that a lot of that was still, you know, animatronics yep. and puppets and, and, you know, real things. That's why it looks so good. Yeah. But still, the CGI holds up
1: yep it does Uh, (coughs) well Um, i think some of these movies are just they're trying too hard or they don't have the budget to actually and disney's not obviously falling under that but some of them don't have the budget to actually live up to current cgi standards um yeah like i haven't actually watched it because i'm so weirded out by the odd um (laughs) what is it called proportions Of the Mowgli movie that was, like, made just for, I think, Netflix. Oh,
0: yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. And I'm just like, okay, I get where you're going. I get where you were starting. But if you can't keep up with the CGI budgets of the big houses, like, what on earth are you spending your money on? Yeah. So Totally. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I just, I mean, they're, you know, they did the, they're doing the Lion King. They're doing Aladdin. They're doing Dumbo. They did Beauty and the Beast. It's like, good God. Enough already. Have a new idea. No. <laughs> well. Yeah. I mean, that's what was so great about Pixar for so long was that mm-hmm. it's like their first 10 movies other than Toy Story, you know, because but I mean, you know, having having uh sequels to Toy Story, I don't th- did you see they're, they're doing a fourth Toy Story? I... They wrapped that story up so nicely. <laughs> Talk about a movie you're going to cry to. Toy Story 3. Oh, my God.
1: I haven't seen it yet.
0: What? <laughs> oh, my
1: God. Jamie, what are you
0: doing with your life? Go uh, see Toy Story 3.
1: I I will. I will. How about this summer? I'll do it this summer
0: fair enough just see it
1: <laughs> i don't even think i've seen toy story 2 actually what is wrong with you i just kept seeing the new pixars other than incredibles 2 which i waited you know what 15 years for that yeah. that i went and saw the sequel to. but i don't generally do sequels oh my god there's another composer in a disney movie but it's a sequel to beauty and the beast the christmas why, special
0: why would you know this
1: because <laughs> my grandparents bought it for me <laughs> Okay. It's well. It is a flash back to when Belle was at the castle for Christmas before they changed the Beast back into a human, and mm -hmm. there is an organ that is the evil character trying to do mischief, and
0: then that's a composer.
1: He's a composer.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, in the I don't really they they didn't really have this. Character in the original one, I think, but in the the new Beauty and the Beast, Stanley Tucci plays oh my the God, harpsichord. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> and that's
0: kind of like a composer esque. You know, mm-hmm. who who knows? Not putting labels on it, but anyway. Okay,
1: <laughs> we got derailed by CGI, and
0: we really got derailed. Anyway, <laughs> all right. Well, let's end this Mr. Holland's uh, uh, thing by talking about his bullshit three minute symphony. Oh. 40 years 40 3 minutes
1: years 3 minutes yep
0: 16 bar crescendos yep just them- contentless yep themeless yep it's all it's all accompaniment and I, I'm gonna say this it is totally what someone of that generation would write <laughs> with the electric guitars and being influenced by rock and roll. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I know, like, I've met so many of those composers, like, oh, yeah, I'm gonna. It's like this Jimi Hendrix song, blah, blah, blah. It's like, you could not lose me any faster. <laughs> I don't give a, a flying fuck about your obsession with, with classic rock and how you're turning that into concert music somehow. Yep. Sorry, but I'm just—that is like my biggest pet peeve in yeah. in music—is the like, oh, it's rock music, but for orchestra. Yeah, and it's like, dude, if you wanted to be a rock star, like, go do that. Because mm-hmm. you're you're not a rock star, and you're a shitty composer at that.
1: And <laughs> that whole scene reminds me of a quote about about um. Concert Masters versus School Teachers.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It says, you know, it pretty much goes that a lousy concert master will be around for a couple of seasons and then leave. But a lousy high school band director can ruin a generation of a small town's <laughs> musicians. <laughs> And that is what I think of every time I see that auditorium full of all these kids that he influenced because he had no other choice.-hmm and, and I mean, I, I
0: don't know that he was a horrible teacher. We don't really have any evidence of that. Certainly, in the very beginning, he was a horrible oh, teacher.
1: He was a horrible teacher in the beginning. But yeah, I mean,
0: I would think that after he resigned how-
1: himself to being a half-ass teacher, maybe. I can't imagine that he suddenly becomes this great and inspiring teacher after all of the rest of the shit that we know about him being an (laughs) apathetic father who like shows up once for his child and says, I love you. And the way that you, I'm I'm meeting you where you are for the one time in your life. Yeah. You know, (laughs) I can't imagine that that person is a halfway decent teacher. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You're probably, yeah, you're right. <laughs> All right, so sixteen bar crescendos. Yep.
1: Sixteen bar crescendos.
0: For the entire three minutes. Yep. I mean it's just climax after climax <laughs> with drum set in twelve eight and elect two, two two electric guitars. Two. He couldn't he couldn't get what he wanted with just one. Had to be two. Can
1: anyone?
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> they can.
1: Being facetious, <laughs> while I pour my third glass of wine, <laughs> I've right, also been so... yelled at because I'm in Andrew's office recording. <laughs> he was like, "How much liquid are you bringing into my office near our mixer?" <laughs> I was like, hey, "Don't ah, worry about it. On. Don't worry about it. I got a stable glass. It's stemless. A
0: stable glass.
1: <laughs> yeah, I got my stemless." All right. Glass. Well,
0: <laughs> well, should we should we listen to the 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 symphony? If we must, Mister. Mr. Holland's Opus, Symphony Number One, Opus Number One. There is no Opus Number Two.
1: Opus only.
0: (laughs) Opus only.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Go for it.
0: okay well we got through it we did <clears throat> you know that was that was scored by uh, that movie was scored by Michael Kamen so really we should be blaming Michael Kamen <laughs> for that for that dog shit of a piece mm. <clears throat> but you know anyway alright probably so did the best with what he had yeah he really did <laughs> I mean the the music reflects the man at it's least just, the
1: director didn't keep saying no it needs to sound more like Bolero <laughs> 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 mm-hmm.
0: all right so let's uh let's move on to our fourth and and final mm-hmm. uh film we're gonna look at now i will say uh you had never seen this i have watched this movie countless times
1: oh man
0: yeah so <laughs> i'm i'm very interested but i have a lot to say yep so uh why not th- this movie this movie is untitled that's the name of it. Um and it features uh Adam Goldberg as the uh the main character in it. He's a he's a composer. And he uh he's a f- uh fledgling uh failing floundering <laughs> I mean, floundering how many other f words can we <laughs> can we attribute <laughs> uh to him as he- he's just not getting uh the either the audience or he's not being fulfilled as a composer or or whatever you know he's that he lives in new york and he's that classic like avant-garde all sounds can be music and i'm going to use all sounds as music uh type of person he (laughs) has his own ensemble the new sounds ensemble that he plays piano. he's a pianist he plays piano in, there's a bass clarinetist and a percussionist. How could you get any more new music-y than that? Uh, his brother is a visual artist, a painter, and his brother's like, uh, at, well, his brother thinks it's his girlfriend, but clearly it's, as you will find out in the movie, it's not his girlfriend. Um, his art dealer, um, a gallerist it, who's selling his his work, uh, comes to a concert Uh, Adrian is the composer's name. Adrian meets up with, uh, this, uh, art, art dealer. Fuck. What's her name?
1: (laughs) Is it important? (sighs) Yeah,
0: but you've seen that.
1: This is my, this is going to be my, one of my points again is you've seen this movie how many times and you can't tell me her name. (laughs) Madeline. It's Madeline. Not it's important. Madeline. <laughs> no, it's Madeline. Okay.
0: It slipped me. I I'm on my, like <laughs> I'm drinking. Shut I'm up. not
1: blaming you. I'm blaming the movie. Fair enough. She is the girl <sighs> in the noise-making outfits. That's that is her role. That c- might as well have mm-hmm. been her name.
0: I I disagree. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, uh Madeline, have you looked
1: at Have you looked at the IMDb listing for this movie?
0: Oh, the clarinet.
1: The clarinet.
0: Yeah, she doesn't have a name. She's just the clarinet. I understand that.
1: <laughs> uh-huh. Okay, keep going. All right. Keep going with your description.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so oh. she, they're, they're basically four or five main character you know characters in this movie there's there's the composer there's the composer's brother who's a visual artist there's madeline who's the gallerist there's an art um uh, like a uh, uh collector what would you call collector yeah thank you um porter canby and there's the clarinet um who is the other female role i think the only other female role in this movie other than just like bit parts mm-hmm. um so those are, those are the, and there's the eccentric artist um, who uh, is, so anyway, basically Madeline says to Adrian, look, your audience is all wrong. You should be playing to the art crowd because the art crowd would actually get what you're doing, you know, as a composer. And the movie goes on from there. So it's this like collision of the new music world and the new art world. And that's basically the movie. Yeah. So let's hear your critiques.
1: <laughs> there are so many. All right. First of all, it was a nightmare of reliving s- phrases and sayings from grad school and years of sitting around doctoral students past. Yeah. <laughs> I had a few cringe worthy move- moments where I was just like, oh, oh, I've heard people say that and talk in incomplete sentences, which yeah. basically amount to nothing. That's just not cute. Okay. Um, what I did think that the movie did well was the juxtaposition of these two brothers, one who's commercial and unhappy about not being taken seriously as an artist. Yeah, and one, the visual artist. Right, and then the sound artist who is taken so seriously that he doesn't have an audience because he's not right. commercial enough. And they never find neither one of them is willing to budge, to go anywhere in between.
0: Mm. I don't know. Well, it. I mean, I guess we'll talk. We'll talk about the ending, in in time. But uh, I do think there is a little bit of questioning going on in the ending. Certainly, the visual artist makes no. The only thing that he changes is he just just decides like, well, I'm not being taken seriously in New York, so I'm just going to move out of New York.
1: He also starts painting ovals instead of circles.
0: You're you're absolutely right. <laughs> uh you you will if you watch this movie, you will see that his it's basically just clouds of color with uh uh basically nipples on it <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> That's his art. <laughs> yep yep happy peppy doctor's officey you know kind of stuff Uh, yeah anyway anyway okay so i wrote down a lot about this movie so i i was (laughs) uh when i was on the bus up to bellingham to get to uh to uh western washington university where i met up with charles halka who was on the two weeks ago the the focam episode
1: Mm. um
0: so I was watching this movie on the bus, and the bus ride was two and a half hours long. This is not a two and a half hour long movie, but it almost took me the entire time because of how many times I stopped to write notes. <laughs> um <laughs> uh so I there there were several things that uh kind of rang true for me in this movie. First of all, the parents leaving during the concert and afterwards saying, That was very nice, dear. You know? <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, my parents have never left during one of my concerts, but I've still absolutely received that was very nice, you know. <laughs> and not only from parents but from other people too, you yep. know. So, the the thing that I really that I really like about well, I mean, one of the things I really like about this movie because I really do like this movie is how many like insider like inside baseball things they did for people who are either in the new music field or the contemporary art field and recently i've been i mean certainly i'm not a visual artist of any sort but i've been just so interested in in actually not really contemporary i've been really interested in you know art visual art of like the 50s, 60s. Well, I can't say that. I, I I really am into, you know, art of the present and and everything. But if you can kind of exist in both of those worlds and especially if you are in the know about what was happening in the 50s and 60s, this movie has a ton of Easter eggs just for you.
1: Yes, you're right. There are There are a lot of Easter eggs in this and I caught... Some, but not all of them because I don't know. I don't, I don't feel like I'm particularly drawn to that period. Okay. So I don't know all of them. So you go ahead and let us know what they are. (laughs) I would love
0: to let you know, because this was super fun for me. Some of them I actually had to like go look up because I was like, I know, I know that, but I, I, I wanted to be, I wanted to be prepared. So anyway, uh, the score uh, so in the very the very first uh, the very first performance we see the score that you just get a brief shot of mm-hmm. and the only way that you would actually know this piece if is if you are a percussionist yeah. because it is uh, Stockhausen's Zykluse for solo percussion yeah. which if you're a percussion you know it's it's basically like a lot of graphic notation and and it's supposed to like you know it's supposed to give you the sense of like Oh my god, this is so new. You know, he's not even using <laughs> notes and rhythms anymore. So Yeah.
1: I mean, so I the, mean, the notation alone, I could have I if you had given me a couple of guesses, I probably could have gotten one right. of them might have been Stockhausen, but I'm Yeah. And also her screaming. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Hiya! <laughs> I was like are we and then in karate the, class? Like the crying
0: and moaning later. <laughs> oh, I
1: know. Oh, oh, oh,
0: oh. Turn the page. <laughs>
1: <laughs> was it that point in the in the movie where she was like turning the page while holding the mouth, just like the head joint of the, yeah. <laughs> the clip clarinet? Totally. Mm, poor the clarinet. Yeah.
0: <laughs> poor the clarinet. <laughs> So as, as we will see, and this is, this is probably the first reference to him, but as we will see, John Cage factors very heavily Mm -hmm. in this movie, um, the duck call into the piano. That is a, that is just a direct reference to John Cage's water walk, Mm -hmm. you know? Definitely. Um, so I wanted to bring this up, um, right after this performance, uh, Adrian is approached by these two, like maybe postdoc students or 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 people or or critics or whoever you know whoever they may be but he's approached after the concert and they're giving him feedback uh, just horrible horrible feedback about his his uh his compositions and then he leaves and then afterwards they say uh, to each other you know some of his concepts are okay but i i just hate all of his work (laughs) and carter literally just said this almost verbatim phrase about Morton Feldman and John Cage in the <laughs> podcast we did about like the pieces we should like but we just can't you know oh his ideas are great but oh I just hate all the way he realized them so I just thought that was funny that's funny like, you
1: mean you mean Carter Rice I totally thought yes you meant like Carter Carter <laughs> like Elliot Carter <laughs>
0: oh no no no, no. Like, Carter Rice
1: Carter <laughs> yeah oh that's funny yeah yeah I, <laughs> I totally get that, though. I mean.
0: Yeah. I mean, there there are definitely John Cage pieces that I'm not that into, but I have an absolute fascination and appreciation for her, his ideas, you know. But there are a lot of composers who, like, I like five of their pieces, and they wrote 50 of them. Yeah. You know? So There's... I don't think you have to like everything, you know? Some. Some things speak to you, and other things don't. But
1: Natalie Draper was at Fredonia not too long ago, and and said something along the lines of, "You should never. We're we're beyond the point of, uh, you know, like hero worshiping composers, or we should be. Yeah, because nobody's got a completely perfect opus. You know, no. like the, everybody has one or two good pieces, or one or two pieces that speak to you.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but. We're we should be moving beyond this, you know, hero, hero worship. What did I say before?
0: Yeah. You said hero worship. Did
1: yeah. I? Okay. I'm getting a little unfocused.
0: <laughs> Quote, <unquote.
1: laughs> just a little unfocused. Um, but yeah, no, no but that, I, that's, I think. Yeah. That's,
0: tol- that's totally right. I mean, Beethoven has a, has a ton of c- shitty pieces that still get played just because mm-hmm. he's Beethoven.
1: Mozart has Symphony 12, man. Listen to that. You'll never feel bad about it. Anything
0: ever again? <laughs> so the uh, the eccentric artist, the uh, his his <laughs> uh, character name is Ray Barco. Yes. This is absolutely a direct nod to Robert Rauschenberg. Mm. So Ray Barco, all of his art is like taxidermied animals in. You know, along with household objects, and it's it's all kind of quasi-sculptural, quasi-installation. Um, but this—I I mean, if you have seen Rauschenberg's Goat or the Eagle, or I mean, th- those those aren't the um, the actual names of the pieces. But <laughs> if if you know what I'm talking about, then you've seen it. Like there is no way you cannot see Ray Barco's work and not immediately think of Robert Rauschenberg. So. And I mean Ra- Rauschenberg and Did Cage make the same were. End? Uh, <laughs> I don't believe so. No, <laughs> Rauschenberg lived well. <laughs> I mean, not at an incredibly old age, but he. <laughs> no, you he didn't meet the same <laughs> end.
1: As I saw this scene, where where the artist meets his end, and obviously his his, his <laughs> the value of each individual piece skyrockets overnight, right? right? Yeah. But. But the scene starts with him asleep in his studio. Yeah. And it's not a place you would sleep, right? It's, it's nah. like there's not a bed. It's like he's, a
0: warehouse.
1: It's a warehouse and he's fallen asleep in an inappropriate place. And I looked at the scene as it started and I was like, when I was writing my book... I would write until like four in the morning and then wake up with a scarf wrapped around me and a cat sleeping next to me and pieces of paper everywhere with bassoon multiphonic fingerings on them. And so the scene started, I was like, oh, I'm horrified that I identify with this pedantic man. And, um, And then of course the scene ends in a very different way than my book ended. Nice. But I did have a, I had a moment of deep recognition for where he was in that moment. Just working at the wrong time of night. to the wee hours.
0: Right. (laughs) So that, that artist, he says, like, he's, he's at a, he's at one of the open, you know, his, one of his openings. And he's asked by a patron, you know, uh, who are your influences? And he says this, the past doesn't influence me. I influence it. And I knew I had read that somewhere before, and it's because I did. That is that's a real thing. That that's a quote from uh the artist Willem de Kooning, who, <laughs> you know, you can look back many of the artists that were that inspired uh this the the art in the movie and the characters of in the art world in this movie were from the abstract impressionist uh movement. And Willem de Kooning, you could argue is the father of the abstract impressionist movement. And it's a real quote. And again we come back to John Cage. This is from John Cage's essay History of Experimental Music from his book Silence. <laughs> I mean that's just perfect. Like
1: <laughs> Yep. Yeah. Uh so, I I don't think there's any doubt in anyone's mind that that this is influenced by Cage. I don't know. I think it would be hard to watch it and not see the I mean yeah. even even the um Commission, Right. That he receives.
0: Absolutely.
1: Like if it weren't done in 2000, what was this? was 09, right? Yep. Yep. If it weren't done in 09, you would, I would have thought this is absolutely Cage in many respects, other than personality, not really matching. That was, that was a huge right. thing for me. It was like, you know, I basically think of John Cage as an overgrown teddy bear. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Some of the stories about him are, are just like exasperated by his own <laughs> his own bad timing in some situations, and not musically at all totally. at all. Like like, <laughs> Vivian Perlis, I think, is the, yeah. is the historian from Yale, right? She does the oral history Maybe. project.
0: Sure.
1: And uh, she, she was backstage. Boulez was on stage conducting. She was backstage with Cage, and she had a twinge in her back. Mm. And so, Cage started teaching her some stretches. And at one point, Boulez comes off stage for a musician's break, for a rehearsal break, and Cage is, like, holding Vivian's feet... I'm sorry, Persis' feet, while she's doing a stretch and laying on the floor, and Boulez just shakes his head and walks away. And... Cage just goes, "Oh dear, I've done it again." <laughs> and that's like that is the story that sticks with me about him. <laughs> and so and so to oh, know to know of of all of these references when when the main character is just a bit of an ass. I mean, like he's a gigantic ass the whole movie, yes. justifiably or not, he is. Like, every other composer we've talked about on this podcast so far. Right.
0: So, so that's, I mean, that's one of the things, one of the overarching things we can say. Like, composers are always depicted as assholes. And, I mean, but you did make the point, it was either earlier in this one or earlier in the other one, about, like, are we kind of done with glorifying the asshole protagonist? You know, I wonder if this is because we have so few data points to even like look at in terms of composers being depicted on film is it a composers are depicted as assholes or just there are a lot of movies about assholes <laughs> i mean i don't know i don't know it's hard it's it's hard to uh but definitely all the all the composers we've talked about in these two podcasts have are definitely certifiable assholes Um, yeah but in case you know obviously we're we're saying that cage has been a major influence but in case you weren't convinced enough i have more for you Mm. um the second piece that we hear of adrian is using a bunch of tin cans this is obviously (laughs) another nod to john cage in the third construction you can't see this without thinking immediately who's the other person who's written for tin cans John Cage <laughs> so so anyway there there will be more as we there go will on. Be more. I but love
1: I love that you've taken this extensive note. I have I have one sticky note from my viewing <laughs> here it is
0: well fair enough um, this it this says
1: was, it says on it ready for this yep I'm ready harmony is a capitalist plot to yes! sell piano's <laughs> That's my next note. Okay, oh, see, my timing is epic. <laughs> it also has something profound at the at the lower half, because that doesn't take up a, a whole sticky note. But right. you, you go ahead with your point. Harmony is a capitalist plot. No, I
0: just plot. thought that was hilarious. Harmony is a capitalist <laughs> plot to sell pianos.
1: Oh, the plight of the composer. The un- misunderstood yeah. composer. Now,
0: now Ooh. that that quote came out at, like, a dinner of a bunch of like art people. Yes. And Adrian and mm-hmm. you know, so he's I'm he's definitely like out of out of the element there. So they're asking they're just asking him a bunch of questions and mm-hmm. one of the questions that comes up is what is the difference between art and entertainment? And mm-hmm. the answer posed in that uh that dinner is entertainment never posed a problem it couldn't solve. I was wondering like
1: I missed I mean, that. I was, I was probably too busy writing down Harmony as a capitalist (laughs) (laughs) thought (laughs) to solve. Say it one more time. Uh, Entertainment. What is, the
0: question is, what is the difference between art and entertainment? Mm -hmm. The answer that Madeline gives is entertainment never posed a problem that it couldn't solve.
1: Okay. I don't know whether that's more a comment on entertainment or art. And our ability yeah. to over overthink all of our damn problems. Right. <laughs> there's actually, you know, I like I like nerdy um, craft projects. And there's actually an area of Pinterest that's entirely foul language cross-stitch. <laughs> and it's my favorite thing to, I mean, I don't actually make much of it, but it's my favorite thing to save. And, and one of them isn't actually foul language. It's just, it's it's just a hold on a second. I got, I'm going to go overthink about it. And I'm just like, if I'm going to spend a lot of time making a cross sit stitched pillow or something like that, it's going to be something snarky about the way we live. And that's entirely Andrew's MO (laughs) is, hang on. I'm going to be in the corner overthinking something. (laughs) Oh my God. Um,
0: I don't know i just thought I it was an know. interesting take on that question that always comes up and you know like an undergrad discussion
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know so yeah anyway. maybe
1: it might be i don't know it kind of harkens back to our last podcast where we were talking about um you know the the composer who thinks that that uh oh that there are serious there are very serious problems to be solved and and right and we're taking ourselves so incredibly seriously that you know there are some that can never be solved. It's a perpetual battle between the dragon and the right yeah. whatever man he was fighting, and I can't remember it. Um, I don't know. I can't. I can't say that I agree. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. I don't exactly like. Seriously, my composing is not entertainment. I just had a performance of the darkest piece I've ever written, and it was after two very heady minimalist pieces. Oh, it was really poorly placed. We all ended up in a very dark moment after my piece was performed. And I'm like, I really felt like I needed to apologize to many people in the audience because the piece is about the Holocaust. The text is just really dark. And my performers were right in character. They were dressed in black like they were at a funeral. It is this doom and gloom and weight piece and it was in the wrong place on the program. <laughs> yeah, <it's... laughs> and so I'm not, I'm not like, I'm, it is certainly not entertainment. That is, that is emotion of some kind. But yeah. at the same time, like, I don't feel like it's an unsolvable, unsolvable problem either. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So I can't answer your question.
0: There was no question.
1: Oh, well, good. Just more Just wine. Like... <laughs> For... <laughs> More wine. More. <laughs> yes. So,
0: at that same dinner, there's the the discussion continues, and um, it's uh, it's this. Uh, but if any sound could be music, how do you tell the difference between music and noise? And Adrian's answer is because noise is unwanted sound. It could be Beethoven's Fifth if that's what you don't want to hear at the moment.
1: I actually really liked that.
0: Yeah, so did I. Yeah,
1: yeah. Because um, you don't have con- absolute control over your sound environment. And sometimes, you know, the tenor taking a lesson across from the hall from you is... <laughs>
0: That's noise.
1: <laughs> it, at, when you're trying to write a phrase, it's noise. I mean, I even had that experience lately with someone practicing Andrew's music next door to me. Brilliant pianist. Amazing pianist. I've never had somebody else playing Andrews music interrupt my creative process before <laughs> it's usually him walking through the living room whistling and I was just like really even here even in my office <laughs> no I, I I really like that idea of, of noise is, is uncontrolled yeah but in a timing sense not in a not in a Well, timing and possibly volume, but not necessarily. Um, Yeah, that's a good quote. Yeah. You know this whole thing, especially that dinner reminded, made me think of, and this is the second half of my sticky note, is every single character in there was urgently and hungrily trying to be as nonchalant as possible.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Okay.
1: And that, I think, sums up a lot of what we try to achieve in our careers not in our art but in the progress of our art Yeah. is that we have to be hungry and we have to hustle and we have to do all the things at the right time be in the right place and go and network even when we're tired and we've got kids and we've got all of this stuff going on and I use the royal we for the got kids part sorry Um. and and. You know, we have to be on in order to get it, get the next thing, the next biggest thing. And that, by the time you're done with it, is not as big as the next thing we've got our eyes on. Right. But at the same time, if we appear too hungry, nobody wants us.
0: You know, how you just described that reminded me of another movie, Um, uh, The Birdcage.
1: I haven't, you know, it's on oh Netflix. My God, and I know gee. I know it's a big classic, but I, I haven't seen it yet. And it's on it's on my wish list of things that I really need to see.
0: Go see it immediately. <laughs> before Toy Story 3, before anything else, go see the birdcage. Okay? Okay. It okay. is a brilliant film.
1: I it looks like it, I just...
0: But there's <laughs> There's a scene where he's trying to well. Yeah. Without giving you any context, this is going to be hard to describe. But Robin Williams owns a cl- owns a drag club. Okay? okay, Nathan Lane is the star. Mm-hmm. Nathan Robin Williams is. Hey, Robin Williams is also kind of a composer in this. He he writes songs for uh, th- that will be performed at his drag club. So we we found another composer out there. Songwriter. So yeah, the songwriter is better. Um, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> So uh, they are rehearsing this song, and um, he's trying to like he's trying to give direction to the other male dancer opposite Nathan Lane in the scene. And he's like, "You, you know, you." And the dancer is like, "Well, what is my motivation?" And he's like, "You do an eclectic celebration of a dance. You do Fosse, Fosse, Fosse. You do Martha Graham, Martha Graham, or Twyla, 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 or Michael <laughs> Kidd, Michael Kidd, Michael Kidd, or Madonna, Madonna, Madonna. But you keep it all inside."
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's 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 the composers' that's career like, in the arts <laughs> you do all of
0: this shit external to everything mm-hmm. but, but you keep it all inside can't yeah. let it show
1: no no you have to be calm and cool and collected because the second you lose it it gets reported to HR <laughs> <laughs> indeed mm-hmm. so anyway
0: let's uh let's push through and get to some more references Mm -hmm. uh there's a scene where the clarinet goes to have dinner uh, at the
1: collector's house
0: at at the collector's house and he has his house his apartment is just like an art gallery that's the way he set it up but there are some specific pieces in there that are like nods to the new to the new uh you know like contemporary art. So you know when she's going to the bathroom and she runs headfirst into that sculpture <laughs> on the wall They're yeah. just like rectangle forms jutting out from the wall? Yeah. That's Donald Judd.
1: Oh my god. Yeah, but you just said, you know, when she goes to the bathroom and all I could think of was him, the oh, image yeah, of him yeah. that day, standing there and scaring the living daylights out of her in the bathroom. Now,
0: now, did you think that was him or did you think that was a video piece?
1: Oh, that was definitely him, wasn't it?
0: I don't think so. No, I no, no I mean, was it a was a video
1: piece. piece, but it was the outf- exact outfit he oh, was absolutely. wearing that day.
0: Yeah, that was choreographed to go with the video piece. <laughs> I think it had to be. like. <laughs>
1: I, I think I probably would have called the police. Well, of course
0: you would. because you should call the police. but
1: <laughs> I mean like that's a different level of torture there than he. yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. so oh.
0: so the other like eccentric artist yep. in in this, uh, you know, so if you have the Robert Rauschenberg character on the one end, <laughs> Then you have this this other character who is like the art version of the most extreme John Cage music, you know, yeah. which which arguably is four thirty three. So you know this this other art character is like a pushpin stuck in the wall. It's conceptual art. He doesn't make anything, you know. So and he and he says this um, th- this. Inarticulately and over and over, very inarticulately. I want my work to have the whole world in it, but I want it to mean everything to everyone. But I don't want to add anything. And then Madeline says, "Your strategy is to produce something and nothing." Again, another John Cage reference. He has a lecture called "Something and Nothing."
1: Hmm.
0: (laughs) But this is this is kind of like the mantra of the '50s and '60s: is art the thing? itself or is it the idea of the thing
1: i'm slowly shaking my head at rob (laughs) (laughs) but this is a great
0: question
1: i'm sure it is
0: (laughs) it's a great question not only in art but also in music you know is Mm -hmm. it the thing or the thing that it makes you feel you know is it the experience or the notes
1: i don't have an answer for you i think it depends
0: well, that's an answer. It's just not a very interesting answer.
1: <laughs> Talk <to> you, Rob. <laughs> I don't know. No, I mean it literally depends on what I'm, what I, what you need it for. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, you're you're not wrong. you you're, I mean, you're if right.
1: I, if I go to see a performance of Circus Maximus, I'm gonna feel something. It's probably adrenaline because there's a lot of drums and bugles and such. That are <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but it, you know, that's a very different environment that I'm aware that I'm walking into that night than the intent of a street performer.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Or my playlist that makes me calm down in the car that we all know about because I'm a terrible commuter.
0: But I guess the but, the, but I think what you're doing is you're confirming that art can be the idea of the thing. It does. It's not only the thing, you know. Mm-hmm. So basically, both both situations and everything in between are possible, and that's. I think that's a really tough sell for a lot of people. Which brings me to the next quote from the movie: "You can be so experimental in music, but so reactionary about art." And I actually find the inverse is also very true. Mm-hmm. People can be so experimental in art, but so reactionary about music, you know if it's not triads that ah yeah. that's gross but then they go look at a warhol or a or a rothko or mm-hmm. or any just pick a name you know and they're like oh my god this is so brilliant and it's like why can't you make the leap when it comes to sound
1: some people do some people can
0: of course some yeah
1: um, yeah. I, I think it depends on exposure. Like you can, you can be of completely immersed in the art world, either consumer or producer of, of that art and not understand or appreciate the same types of ideas in music. But the, the same thing is true about music. We all get very, very insular. Yeah. Yeah. As we, as we go deeper and deeper into study and some people don't bring their heads back up and say, true, this could be true in other genres. A lot of people I know don't like reading, for example, really dark books Mm -hmm. or books that affect their metabolism. And I think I've probably mentioned him before, but the writer Ian McEwen has some really dark and some really fucked up stuff. And I love every page of his writing. And part of it is that if I'm reading the right thing at the right time, or, or, or I mean, like, it doesn't even have to be the right thing at the right time. There is a book of his that actually changed my metabolic response uncontrollably. Mm. I had an adrenaline rush from reading one of the chapters of his books. And I've never had that with another writer. Right. I've been excited about what I've been reading, but not like jump on the page and defend a a helpless person in the story. It's completely a victim of circumstances way, way, way far removed from her. And it turns out I'm not the only one who has this reaction to his writing. I just recently got critical essays on, um, on a bunch of his works and they were like, you know, he manipulates time and he really screws with it in a way that also messes with us and creates metabolic reactions. And I was like, Oh my God. All right. But there are people who are able to listen to the most complicated music who just want to read a happy story and can't even handle Dickens. How on earth would they handle McEwen? (laughs) Yeah.
0: You're right.
1: (laughs) You know, this is not, this is not just new music, new art. This is, this is cross every genre.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay.
1: I mean, there are multiple levels to the appreciation of death metal music that I cannot comprehend.
0: Garrett will tell you all about it.
1: I know he will, but I also have a student who will tell me all about it. And I, he asked for a lesson on a piece that was more metal than anything else. And I was like, dude, I can help you with proportion. And it turns right. out I actually dug into it a little bit more than I thought I would be able to. But it's a world that you know, bright and shiny little me as a, as a young composer never thought I would need to immerse myself in. And now here's a student who wants help on a piece that's, (laughs) yeah.
0: Right. So I guess the, the difference there is like the willingness, the willingness to go into something with like, if you, I mean, I, I guess that's just what I hope for, for people, it's just like you have an openness. So if you if you go to if you go to these lengths in this particular <laughs> genre, you can also extend that into any other artistic genre you might find yourself interested in. You know, and that's just not realistic, yeah, of course. It's, it's not, not realistic. realistic
1: every day. Just like yeah. it's not realistic for me to be completely open to all forms of new music every day. There was one piece. That I nearly got up and left a concert Ooh. for, and it was because I paid for a ticket. And <laughs> the idea of the piece was that the musicians opened it and sight read it on the site on the spot in the <sighs> concert, and it was experimental, and it was not what I do. And well, I you think... Know, I just
0: I just sighed, but at the same time I could. I don't know.
1: I respect the group that performed it. I respect the person who programmed it. I did not respect the situation I was put into without awareness of what was going to go on, because at the end of that day, I was having none of it. And yeah. I was pissed that I paid money to watch people fuck around on stage. <laughs> <laughs> I did not enjoy it. It had no cohesive arrival points. It had nothing that I recognized as being what I spent a lot of money and years learning how to do. It seemed like an affront to all of that. And that was me on the day in the mental space of not really ready to do it. Mm I can't say that I would buy a ticket to see his music again because he pissed me off so profoundly that one time, you know, and like and and so I can be open about a lot of areas of new music, new literature, new art. And at the same time, you burn me once. You're going to have to work back that trust. That's true. But it's also what we said about. There should be no hero worship. Yes. I also shouldn't completely villainize this composer, even though I have for the past decade.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, good luck with that. Um, Have we already said that the, the, the last piece is a direct reference to John Cage's 433? I think we've said that, right?
1: We've sort of batted around it. Um, I mean, and and I think it was the perfect pairing to go with this inarticulate man. Um,
0: (laughs) Only using push pins and sticky Only notes. Only
1: using push pins. I didn't object to the push pins or the sticky notes. I objected to the fact that I ju- he couldn't get a sentence out of his face.
0: <laughs> but we've but you've known people like that.
1: I know so many people like exactly. that at the same time. I don't think it has to be the trope that we cling to in in Hollywood and in dramatization of artists and, and Yeah, composers. but again like all
0: these things are you know every every one of these characters is pushed to 11. Like it's all tropey it's all character <sighs> it's it's all uh uh caricatures. It's all the 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 most I mean this is a comedy, you know. It's absolutely a comedy. So it's not <laughs> It's going- tragically comedic. <laughs> yes. So if, if I you're looking for nuance, like look somewhere else. <laughs>
1: i know i know is it too much to ask for like a nuanced composer character though
0: yeah but that wouldn't no one would go to see that movie (laughs) that's the problem (laughs) i mean we would but we're a
1: very small percentage of the yes gdp (laughs) all right
0: so um this was the i think the biggest takeaway and i think it's very important and I've actually said it to students. Uh, so he, Adrian, goes to a kind of like elder figures, you know, birthday uh, <laughs> concert. Actually, yes. the, the, did did you recognize that's um, the percussion group in that?
1: I recognized one of them. Uh, but I, I, be- didn't... I
0: believe that's so percussion. Is it? I think so.
1: I think I knew one of them and I was like, I, I thought I, I should probably look it up before I actually said who I think it is, but um, but yeah, I, I recognize that you know they are a group and yeah. they would have to be because it's it was a actually real halfway decent performance. Well,
0: <laughs> and I, we haven't actually mentioned this yet, but the entire movie is scored by David Lang,
1: mm-hmm. so
0: it's a real you know a real life composer. I, yep. I shouldn't say that. I mean, film composers <laughs> are composers too, but they are. A, they are a. Composer, who does not normally exist in the world of film, scored the yes. entire movie. And I mean, yeah. I, I say scored. A lot of it is just his pieces, you know, that they're using. You know, it there was Anvil True. Chorus in there. There was Cheating, Lying, Stealing or whatever mm-hmm. the hell that thing's called. There was a, you know, the the uh, the bass clarinet piece that's like played throughout. Mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. that, that piece is his. Um, I can't remember what it is. But it's, Mm. it's David, David Lang wrote that piece that they are attributing to this elder composer. Yeah. So afterwards, after the piece, some idiot comes up and he gives (laughs) uh, this, this composer like, what were you trying to express? You know, all these really, the, the questions that honestly we would get, and it was just like really negative to the composer and, and Adrian asked
1: composer celebrating his 90th birthday too. like,
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Who the hell would do
0: that? Well, an asshole. Um <laughs> so so the Adrian says, "How do you how do you deal with that kind of idiotic criticism?" And the composer turns to him and says, "I mean, everyone has an opinion, mm-hmm. but the artist must find meaning in the process." Basically, you can't look if you're only looking for accolades, if you're only looking for uh approval Mm -hmm. it's like you're not in it for the right well you're not in it for the thing that's probably going to be most satisfying for you because those other things come so few and far between that if you're in it for only that oh you're gonna have a painful life as a composer yeah if you're in it just to make art and the process of making art that is what fulfilling that that is what is fulfilling for you then you can have a you can have a life in this business and not like the end goal is not so much what you care about it's the making of the thing that is yeah. meaningful
1: i actually think they spent way too much time in this movie focusing on how the composer how the artist absorbed external criticism yeah and and I don't know about you or how you were taught or how you teach your students, but you mentioned that you bring this up to them. Yeah. Like, everyone's a critic. Mm-hmm. From your parents who might have to go to the bathroom in the first act of your opera and never come back. That was very nice, dear. <laughs> that was very nice, dear. Or, why is your music so creepy? We gave you such a good childhood. Um, you know, there's there's many levels of criticism and you essentially just have to smile and nod and keep doing your thing. Yeah. And I don't know of anybody who's made it to their mid thirties, still existing as a composer or an artist or an actor, an actor. Oh my God. Right. <sighs> Who not only get critiqued on their work, but their bodies and things way beyond their control. Um, you know, there's, there's, there is the process, part of this, there was just a, you know, the Humans of New York photographer, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. He just posted an image of a young woman, who I assume is a Fredonia grad, because a lot of our students know her and shared her, this post, and you know, it's anonymous, so I can't quite remember the name, But, but, you know, she talked about shifting from the idea that the her job was to play a role now, the artist's job the the actor's job is to audition
0: right yeah
1: and until they land something that's their only job and it's just like the article that uh floated around a few years ago about collecting 100 failures a year
0: mm-hmm. yeah if
1: you collect failure you are likely to have a couple of wins tossed in there. Rather than focusing on every individual rejection as a loss, you're focusing on that being a gain for you as another step to a success. And like, I think that's a big thing that's shifted since the seriousness of the 50s and the 60s, is that we acknowledge that, that it is the process, and that rejection is a part of the process, not just something to obsess over. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't really care if my music is creepy to some people or it speaks to enough people that I'm going to continue doing it. And not just in a creepy vein, but in many, (laughs) you know, many areas. Until at some point somebody makes a movie about a female composer, whether it's me or not, who knows
0: you're just floating it out there right now just
1: floating it out there i mean if all these guys have these egos the size of texas then i mean i'm gonna need one in order to make it into the movies
0: right right right. okay (laughs) so we pretty much come to the end of the movie and Mm -hmm. i wanted to get your thoughts on on the end because basically that we said that the there are two brothers. One mm-hmm. works the art, the visual artist works from a very intuitive, uh, place, and his work is commercially successful. Yeah. The other works from, I you know they don't really go into how his he's process. making no how how he's making the music, but it comes off as quite perhaps academic. Yep. You know. Very unapproachable, Esoteric, not commercial.
1: Intellectual. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: so the there are these the they juxtapose these two these two brothers. The one brother just basically says, ah, I'm, I'm gonna move outside of New York and sell to an audience that will uh you know, will appreciate what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. The composer, um now there's this montage after the elder composer says to Adrian, the artist must find meaning in the process. Then he goes home to his studio and he starts to compose with arguably, well, I, up until this point, we haven't heard anything that he's done with any pitch, you know?
1: Yeah. I like everything.
0: Right. Every <laughs> Everything has been kind of, textural sound based anything like that. So mm-hmm. he starts composing with pitch. And I would say that what he's doing you 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 could never call it tonal. No. But it's certainly using familiar materials. Yes. Yeah. So this montage of him composing <laughs> I kind of have a bit of a problem with
1: Okay, you tell me your problem, and then I'll tell you mine. All right. I told you most of my problems already, so I know.
0: <laughs> so in so he you know, you hear the music he's composing, and he's just feverishly writing, and um, in the background, it is saying that perhaps he was after something that wasn't inside of him, that this newer expression is more meaningful. But on the surface, it says that tonality is always the way forward, that what came before is meaningless, Mm -hmm. that you will always find meaning in pitch. And that's that's the problem I have with this. It's like we're like I think the deeper the background is actually more true, but that's not what the general audience would take away from this. The general audience would say, oh, he's making those yeah. weird sounds. And now he's making stuff that's kind of pretty. Yeah. And like that, ugh. you know, the weird stuff was pretty.
1: To you and me. Yeah, exactly. To Stockhausen. Right.
0: <laughs> but, that, but that's the message it's sending. And I, I just, I kind of have a problem with that. All right. What's your problem with that?
1: I think it's the same as the problem with Mr. Holland's Opus. It's a momentary lapse of of asshole behavior into the land of uh, I could be a slightly gentler whether it's tonality or fatherly person. And here's my shift. I've grown as a person. Stamp me grade A, ready for approval of the general public and I'm set to go. Okay. I, you know, you're right, we never do hear his pitch material. Yeah, That doesn't mean it didn't exist. It means that we needed to hear the angularity of his unpitched material, or rather, multi-pitched material, because there was many, right. many a cluster thrown about. Sure. Um, I don't know. I, don't, I really don't see the end as a shift away from... We don't get enough information to see him shift away from from it either. We just see him experimenting with it, which... I have to say, is actually I might even let it be spot on for a composer. I think I think the younger you are, the more experimental you are, and as people age they get more comfy. I Absolutely.
0: Think. And I think that the fact that he can he can go back and forth between these worlds, and I hope that's what the message is, is that these this is not a light switch, this is a spectrum.
1: Mm-hmm. I well, hope it's not exactly the message they send, but that's well, exactly. the message that we hope is there.
0: Right, right, yeah. exactly. So the the very last scene when he goes to visit his brother in the new uh, art gallery in Nant, you know, in Nantucket, Nantucket. Um, <laughs> yes. So <clears throat> the gallery. Uh, Right. In the gallery, there's the waiter that's like serving. Yeah. yeah, The waiter that's (laughs) serving food. And he says to Adrian, I saw you at Merkin Hall. It changed my life. So you see Adrian kind of considering. He just had this like pitch awakening. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden he gets this person who's like, Hey, I actually reached out to someone and someone Mm -hmm. kind of got it. The movie ends on a question. And I, I like that. So, I don't like how we got there, but I like the fact that he's questioning
1: yeah he doesn't yeah. he doesn't
0: know, and honestly, I think that's probably why David Lang said yes to scoring the movie. Mm, I think it kind fair. of re- I, I think it kind of represents how he probably looks at himself straddling the two worlds. You know, you don't have to be one thing, multiple modalities can exist simultaneously,
1: yeah. I don't know, I just I I think Stravinsky was one of the last people who did really hardline shifts in style well.
0: Definitely someone who has periods.
1: Yeah. I mean five. Yeah. I think far fewer people have that and I and I don't even aim to to do that.
0: Well, I mean, You so know, th- I hope
1: there's some sort of linear progression in the way that my music changes. I think that would be far more interesting and that I hope I don't repeat th- stuff as often as some other people do.
0: But, I mean, your your husband talks about being able to, like, oh, I can have a tonal choral piece over here and then I can have this really far out piece over here and they were written Does back to back. Does he have a
1: tonal choral piece, though? <laughs> I mean, kind of, (laughs) a little bit.
0: Yes, we talked about it on his podcast, podcast number seven. Okay. I want to say, yeah, I'm pretty sure. I I think
1: there's more of a line of continuity there than he might even let on. Okay. I don't know. I mean, there are definitely some composers who, who latch onto a thing that becomes commercially successful because they can. Yeah. I mean, I love me some um, Morton Lordson's Hmm. Magnum Mysterium. He used the same chord progression for a lot of pieces after that, when that piece became successful. and
0: Eric Whitaker would be another one.
1: I don't mention his name. Um, (laughs) When he stops making fun of atonal composers on Facebook and Twitter, I might mention his name again. Um... (laughs)
0: I feel like, you know, I and I've talked about this before, but so so many people who exist outside of the world of atonality, like I feel like either you're just a closed off asshole who can't see that there's multiple means of expression, or it's like, uh, you feel inadequate, and it like that's the. Uh, <laughs> like you don't you know you should understand this but you don't Mm. so you're Mm. lashing out as a like defense Mm. mechanism i think that's a lot of it i've encountered so many of those people in real life where it's like they're so overprotective of their how they make art and it's like okay great do your thing why are you attacking me i'm not attacking you (laughs) I'm not anyway. even
1: entirely atonal, and I, th- I find exactly. most of his news newsfeed anyway. offensive. Anyways, you know, like there is there is more of a continuity, and there's the ability to experiment. No one needs to have these absolutely distinct styles right. in their works list anymore, and and I think it's actually like really strange to do so. Yeah, I think I think. I would love to know what Stravinsky thought of of this, you know, because uh-huh. for a while he was totally against some of the things that he ended up doing, and then moved away from, and and I just want to know, like, what his headspace was. Like, I'm really gonna fuck around with future historians. I'm gonna have a neoclassical period, you know, like he had had all this success before. Why the fuck not?
0: Just throw it all away and Just try Just throw something it out.
1: all away. Just have a little while where he does nothing that makes sense with what came before it. I don't know. Right. I think it's I think he's hilarious for doing it. I would never try it.
0: Yeah. Well, okay, so of the four <laughs> sorry. Of the four movies mm-hmm. other than The Little Mermaid, <laughs> which which one do you think is the most Accurate depiction of a composer. (laughs) Now, I realize that we are dealing with, you know, composers at different stages of their career, different stages of their life, different time periods.
1: Caricatures turned up to 11.
0: Yep. All of those things. But of the four.
1: Okay. And I'm like, I'm feeling my bias is kicking in here because... Because Cloud Atlas is truly, like, it isn't, if it is not my favorite movie, which I watch a lot of movies, so it's it's hard to pick a favorite, but if it's not my favorite, then it's in the top three. Okay. It's hard because it's not directed by Joe Wright, and everything he does is brilliant, so it's up there. I think the young, hungry, desperate, flexible... Experimental Robert Frobisher is right. is the easiest one for me to see as being realistic. You okay. know, on top of his game, but also willing to play the game, get where he needs to go, but makes a couple bad decisions and ends up in a situation. <laughs> and I mean, a couple of bad decisions Sh- is an shoots understatement. His boss. <laughs> shoots his boss. <laughs> 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 um. Yeah, I think but but is willing to like work into the night and not eat and not sleep yeah. to do this thing that he can't not do. I think he's most on point for me. Okay. What about you?
0: I think it should be pretty clear.
1: <laughs> I mean, I mean, you did have a notebook full of. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, I really like untitled. Um you know as you're right he's an asshole I've known plenty of composer assholes
1: Mm, I would never snap at my musicians and expect them to come back the next day the way he did
0: no of course not
1: multiple times yeah I I would never walk into a rehearsal not understanding my own pieces well like he does
0: here's the thing though like they're basically (laughs) a band and I mean have you have you ever been have you ever been in a band
1: I mean no but I'm, kind of, I'm i'm actually thinking about when they when they bring the soprano in and the uh, oh, another yeah. additional player and he's still behaving irresponsibly it's not the creative process it's not like um Room full of teeth, which will say, you know, like, this is, this is a partially finished thing. Can we experiment with it a little bit? I need more to do. I need right. I have more work, but I have these ideas, and I need to flesh this out a bit. It's not like that, and I doubt very much that those people snap at each other in the way that he did with his group. Totally. and And to just, like, I don't know. I think, I think it's irresponsible to profess that that is something that we can still get away with.
0: Totally. Absolutely.
1: Maybe, maybe in the 50s and 60s, but that movie was made in 2009.
0: Yeah. I think that, I mean, having having been in a band, I mean, those that kind of stuff does occur, mm-hmm. especially if you, I mean, especially when you're younger, you know, high school, early college age. I mean, we don't know how old this character is, but he's obviously like 20s, 30s, something like that. Um, and emotionally, he's probably even younger than that.
1: Oh God! Yeah, I hope so. You know,
0: <laughs> so so that kind of stuff. It did, it did like it kind of rang true that that might happen. Um, yeah, but uh, I just think as a movie about a composer, I think it's the most on point. It is definitely a caricature of that kind of composer but at the same time it's like take 10 percent off of him and i know people like that you know
1: yeah yeah so it's like it's not it's not who i want to be yeah
0: it's not who i want to be as a composer but i also think like all the all the easter eggs that are in there you know the combination of music and art and and all that stuff it just it just makes for i don't know i think a pretty good movie So, go see Cloud Atlas, go see Untitled, fuck Mr. Holland's Opus.
1: And I don't know what to do with youth.
0: Just go into it as a movie. (laughs) More
1: Cowbell. (laughs) (laughs) It had to happen.
0: (laughs) So, I think we should listen, let's take it out and... um, I think we should listen to the very first performance with that, mm-hmm. that you hear of, of his music in the movie, <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll just leave it there.
1: Sp- pay special attention to the bucket.
0: It, it has a carnal tone. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about adjective new music or lexical tones, please go to our website, www.adjectivenewmusic.com.